On our show, we typically talk about marketing and sales strategies for building product companies. But on today's show, we're talking about the economy. It's a little bit of a different direction, but I think you're going to like it. We bring on a thought-provoking guest who works at a lumber dealer, but also has a very popular YouTube channel called The Uneducated Economist. He has a no-nonsense street-level approach to what's happening in the marketplace, and he talks a lot about building materials, construction, and the housing market. I think it's a great show for anybody who's trying to get a pulse on what's happening this next year. All right, let's get in the show. Welcome to the Smarter Building Materials Marketing Podcast, helping you find better ways to grow leads, sales, and outperform your competition. All right, everybody, welcome to Smarter Building Materials Marketing, where we believe your online presence should be your best salesperson. I am Zach Williams, alongside my co-host, Beth Popinklov, and we've got a celebrity guest on the show with us today. We're pretty excited about it. Is that first ever celebrity guest? I mean, you're a celebrity guest, Beth. Right. Other than me, obviously. We are really excited to welcome Simon Carone. He is better known as the Uneducated Economist on YouTube. We are sure that tons of our listeners are familiar with his YouTube channel. But Simon, thank you so much for coming on the show with us today. And for those of us who may not know about you and all of the great things you talk about on your channel, why don't you give yourself a little introduction to our listeners? Well, thank you, Beth. Good morning. Good morning, Zach. My name is Simon. I'm the Uneducated Economist. I started a YouTube channel about three years ago to try and help my friends and family with some of the uh, complicated issues that come through the economy. I take these complex issues and I try and break them down for the average person to understand so that you can have a discussion about it. And that was kind of the whole purpose of my channel. And honestly, I never really expected it to go anywhere, but apparently people really like my opinions and it has really done quite well. That's awesome. Yeah, I think... I started subscribing to you uh, right at the beginning of the pandemic. That's how I first discovered you. Somebody passed me one of your videos about the rise and fall of lumber, or in our case right now, the last year, it's been the rise and the rise (laughs) of lumber. The rise and the rise and the rise again. Yeah, the rise and, oh my gosh, is it, can it continue to go up? And so, you know, there's a lot of things we want to talk about today, but, you know, I want to start with one of your most popular videos. I think is actually a really good place to start because you've got close to 50,000 subscribers, and you talk about everything, not just in building products, but what you see that's happening in the economy and what's happening across the board. But I'd love for you to share a little about what I think is, I think it's your most popular video where you talk about how a company you previously engaged with, how their rise and fall, if you will, and how you think that applies to today's economy. Okay, well, to kind of give you an idea, I started working at a lumber yard. The name of that lumber yard was TVBS. They were a... Uh, little chain up here in the Pacific Northwest that was going quite rapidly. And this yard that I worked at here in Astoria, I started there part-time high school, kind of working there and spent seven years there. It was like, you know, I worked myself through the different positions, ended up managing the yard portion of things, running dispatch and stuff like that. And at that time, like I had no clue about economics whatsoever, like nothing. And all of a sudden, like, I noticed that there was a major slowdown taking place in the yard. Like, the lumber wasn't going out as fast. There was a lot less deliveries. It was just, like, everything you could just notice this change about it. And I started getting word that the company was going to go under. And I just couldn't understand what was happening. And that's when they sent in some managers to run the place. And I was excited about seeing these managers come in. I was thinking, okay, great. You know, we're going to have some guys, some professionals come in here and clean up the books, do whatever we need to do to get this business up and running again. And 
once I realized when these guys got in there that they didn't have any clue about lumber whistles, like nothing, no clue. Hmm. Didn't have any idea about dispatching, didn't have anything about hardware. They just kind of knew about like businessmen. And I thought, well, whatever, it's not for me to know. I just you know, pull lumber. Later on, when the company eventually failed, you know, I saw that it went into auction. And when it went into auction, these guys were really good at that. Like they they auctioned off this company, liquidated it within two weeks. It was just incredible. And then the company was gone. And I never really thought much about it until I had worked at another lumberyard. So that happened at that lumberyard. And like I said, I was really confused about what all took place then. And, you know, this was during like the dot-com bubble and stuff like that. I didn't know any clue about any of it. I didn't even barely understand what dot-com bubble meant. Anyway, so that lumberyard ended up closing. A few years passed by. I worked construction. I did some other things. You know, the great financial crisis came and kind of blew everything up and I lost my job working construction. Well, there was another lumberyard a town away where the manager was actually a guy that I had worked with at the first lumberyard. He ended up going over to this other lumberyard and working himself up into the management position. He says, hey, man, I would love for you to come work, work over there at this yard with me. And I thought, well, you know, I everything going to hell. Yeah, why not? So I went to work at that lumberyard knowing that those guys were not in the best of shape. I mean, here we are in the great financial crisis. The whole building has just gone to hell. And lumber sales are incredibly slow. The other problem with the second lumberyard that I went to work for is that in 2005, before the whole great financial crisis, as everything was running up, he built some of the most beautiful stores that you could ever imagine. I mean, when it comes to hardware stores, these are probably by far the nicest ones you will ever see. There was murals on the walls. The floors had stamped concrete, stained. It was beautiful. All the like clear fur desks and just everything was just like no money was spared on this. I mean, it was like everything went into it. So when it came time to like deal with business after the great financial crisis, there was no way that this lumberyard was going to succeed. I mean, the debts were just far too high and building the store, equipment, you know, all the equipment, everything that went into it. And I mean, we could have sold every two by four in the entire county and still not had enough to, to keep the stores open. It was almost like it was going to be an inevitable crash. And so I knew that, but it was going for a few years, you know, and it's getting around to like, I don't know, 2012 by this point, 2011, 12, somewhere in there. And it's really starting to get noticed that that the store's not doing well. Like we're having vendors who are not shipping stuff. You have to have everything released. It was just getting like a nightmare to try and bring in things. And I'm like, yeah, this looks really familiar. I've been here before. And I went to the manager at the time and I was just like, dude. And he was like, yeah, man, you recognize the sign. And he's like, I don't blame you if you bounce, you know? And I'm like, well, I don't have much going on. So I'm just going to stick it out to the end. I don't know what you're going to do. And the manager told me at the time, he was just like, well, I'm going to bail. You know, because you know what's coming and I know what's coming. Now, everybody else in the store, they were kind of delusional. They're like, oh, no, they're going to work real hard and keep the store open. And I'm like, no, man. They're going to come in here. They're going to attempt to keep the store open and then they're going to liquidate it. And I know this is going to happen because there's no way that this store is going to run. We don't sell enough lumber right now to keep the store open. So anyway... The managers come in, same thing. We're here to try and keep the store open. We're going to look through the books. We're going to, you know, cut where we need to and make the store a functional place again. And I told everybody, I was like, nope, they're blowing sunshine, guys. They're going to try. I said, they're going to give it their best attempt. They're going to make it look like it, but we're not going to make it here. They're going to liquidate this place. And you just watch and see. 
sure enough, you know, I mean, they did the same, almost the same routine. Like they brought us all in on meetings and said, Hey, you know, guys, we're going to work real hard. And basically just blowing a bunch of sunshine, you know, to keep the herd calm, keep you guys working. That's ultimately what they were trying to, trying to do. And when I sat in that meeting and I listened to this guy, you know, blow the sunshine around and I'm like, you know, I've been here before and I pretty much disassembled it. I said to him, I was just like, you know, how successful is your business at actually saving business? That was the one question I finally nailed him on. And he kind of rambled around and tried to say something about a 50-50 and stuff. And I said, you save 50% of the businesses you work at, you know, you work, you don't, you come into and try and rearrange the books. And he eventually got down and said, no, I save about 20% of them. Wow. And I said, that's what I I said like, you save 20% of these companies that you work for. I said, we have very little chance here, don't we? And he was so mad at me. The guy ended up, he was trying to talk and, you know, basically explain everything, but he's spitting, you know, there's spit on the table and stuff because he can't control himself. Yeah, it was a couple of weeks later, they announced the store was closing. It was pretty obvious to me at that point. Anyhow, I am really sensitive to, like, changes in the environment. So when I see, like, you know, downturns or shifts or anything like that, I get, like, I, I start pointing my finger and, like, right there, guys, look, look at that. I'm looking at your YouTube channel right now, and you've given a couple of different updates on the lumber and building product space. Like I think, gosh, about a week ago, you did one about how home building material costs continue to go higher and higher. And so I'm being really curious to get your perspective, you know, especially since you've worked at a lumber yard and you're kind of in our space. What do you see the next 12 months look like? Or gosh, I mean, <laughs> what do the next three months look like? <laughs> you know, like on a side note, I mean, people are trying to project what's going to happen 12 months from now. I don't think anybody really knows projecting further out than 90 days at this point. Yeah, even 90 days is really difficult. I mean, it's, I have a hard time even trying to like know what is going to happen next week. You know, the whole lumber story is just like, you know, a lot of people ask me, it's like, why is lumber so far up? Is it all the money printing? Is it, you know, and they just come up with all these lists and it's like, man, it's been a lot of stuff that's really happened over the last three years, you know, because typically lumber futures, like if you go and look at like a 20 year chart of lumber future prices, Three to four hundred per thousand would be like typical. Like you would see it bounce somewhere in there. Yep. Get up to five hundred on a high end if you're like if it was really extreme. But starting in 2017, in like I think it was like November 2017, the prices started ticking up and they weren't backing off. And I was just like, gosh, guys, what the heck is going on here? You know, I mean, look at this. The lumber futures are hitting four, five, getting up to six. You know, and I'm like, six. What is it going to go? You know, it went all the way up to six fifty, and everybody was just blown away. They're like, oh my God, six fifty per thousand. And that was like in what, 2018 or so. And then it started dropping all the way back down and it and it like the volatility was just incredible. I mean it went from six fifty down to what back down to the three hundreds. And then throughout 2019 it seemed like we were gonna have like kind of this higher average, you know, three, four, five hundred per thousand. And all of a sudden there towards the end of 2019 it really started to run up again and it ran all the way up to a thousand per thousand. And when it hit a thousand per thousand, it, it knocked the socks off of everybody. I mean, they were like, there's no way that this is even possible. I mean, we're looking at a two by four, eight foot stud that would normally retail for say two and a half to $3 a stick now selling for over $8. I mean, it was just like, everybody was shaking their head. They were in complete disbelief. And 
then the prices tick back down and they crash, right? You know, COVID hit and everybody's locking down and the prices crash all the way down to like 250 per thousand. And the market is just like, you know, tumbled. It's, it's over. So here it is at 250 per thousand. Everybody's locked down. Nobody thinks that anybody's going to be working and the prices start ticking up and they're ticking up and the inventory is depleting and it's gone. Right. It's all like everything is just like completely disappeared. And I think I got my kind of timeline a little screwed up there. The lumber depletion really started just as the lockdown started taking place. And the prices increased shortly after that. So the thousand per thousand increase really happened after the lockdown. And really what occurred there was is that all the mills, all the lumber yards, all the builders out there, they all kind of had the same thing going on. It's just like, oh man, nobody's going to be doing anything because we have no idea what's happening. And the mill started like basically curtailing development. Lumberyard started tightening up inventory. Everybody was just kind of going into this like, you know, extreme slowdown mode. Everybody gets a stimulus check. They're locked down at home. They're looking at their surroundings and they're like, you know what? Wouldn't it be nice to have a nice new deck to hang out on for the yeah. summer if you want to be locked down? Or maybe put a fence up to block the neighbors out. Let's remodel this office because I'm going to be working from home from now on. And the demand for lumber and building supplies really started to increase. And it just, like depleted everything and there was nothing to be had pressure treated lumber was probably the hardest thing for me to to try and get my hands on so many people wanted to do these outdoor projects and there was just nothing to be had it was gone all summer long you know that was kind of like a a quick rundown of like what happened there towards the end of summer we noticed that the prices were starting to come down and the inventories were starting to build and when it got to like September, October, I thought, cool, here we are. We're going to come down to normal prices again. The wintertime will, you know, get us back into the new normal, which would, I would assume would have been higher prices, but not like extremely higher. November came and all of a sudden here, the prices start ticking back up again. And now we're up at like 50 per thousand again. And it's just like, holy moly, we're right back up to where we were. I'm looking at half inch CDX now, CDX and OSB. They're the most common sheathing plywoods out there. For building a home, you know, from most of your listeners probably understand that, you know, the studs are like the skeleton and the sheathing, like the skin that goes on the outside of the building. Sheathing right now is selling for $40 a sheet. Now, this typically is like, you know, $18 a sheet. Mm-hmm. And I was talking to some of the suppliers out there and I'm like, hey, I need two by six twenties and I need a couple of units to happen CDX. And they said, yeah, good luck, maybe next week. And I'm like, oh, no. I mean, you're telling maybe next week? They said, yeah. And I'm having a little trouble trying to understand this because, like, I know the mills had tightened up during the holiday season, but that's kind of what they do. But the demand side of things seems to be increasing yeah. dramatically during a time when it would typically slow down. And that is very unusual. All indicators say that the housing market is going to continue to be very strong. You know, housing is one of the few places people can actually put their money or spend money on things that they want. And they're really rethinking the the home office and how much space they need. I'm curious to get your take on what you think is going to happen with the housing market, considering all the money the Fed is spending and the fact that they are pointing to inflation coming. But I'm really curious to get your take about that and what's going to happen this next year. Yeah, this is a difficult one. Honestly, anytime I ever see things get to the extreme, I'm thinking, okay, you just got to wait for the time to turn. Like anytime anything hits a low, you know, lumber hits 250 per thousand, that's a bottom. You know that it's probably not going to go much lower. 
And when I'm looking at housing and I, I have a particular area that I would like to buy a house and I'm not quite there yet, but you know, I'm, I'm building up my down payments and stuff and I'm keeping my eye on this one particular area and the houses, like when I first started looking at this particular area, there's like maybe 25 houses for sale right now. I think there's like seven. Mm-hmm. It, they're gone. There's no house. The houses that do pop up for sale are like these junky old houses that are extremely priced. To me, that's an extreme situation. This is like, you know, this is when you're shaking your head and saying this is unbelievable to me, then most likely you're probably in some sort of cycle or bubble where things are going to change, right? You know, if it's at a bottom, it's going to go up. If it's at a top, it's going to come down. Now, as far as like what the Fed is doing, interest rates going into the future, if the Federal Reserve can maintain a low interest rate environment, which they say they're going to attempt to do, and is able to maintain that throughout the next couple of years, then yes, you're going to be able to continue to have this, you know, exorbitant housing market on account that the interest rates are low. The moment that environment changes, the moment that those mortgage-backed securities that the Federal Reserve buys, which keeps the interest rates low, once that market changes, then you're going to have a completely new environment and that people are going to have to figure out how it is that they are going to be able to buy a house without being able to acquire the the loan at the level that it is. And this is where it's probably going to get very tricky because in my opinion, the federal reserve is going to try and do something where they keep interest rates incredibly low, but then at the same time, not give everybody loans because already you have this irrational exuberance kind of thing taking place where the prices of homes just continue to go, you know, you know, who knows how far they just keep rocketing up. Right. And, if the moment that they try and alleviate that problem of this ever-increasing asset bubble, the whole thing comes undone. So they have to maintain a low interest rate, but then only provide loans to those who are the most creditworthy and continue to make those payments. Because if they just give it to everybody, then eventually you have a problem like we had back in the great financial crisis. So it's really kind of confusing on what I feel that is going to happen here into the future, but that's what I'm assuming the Federal Reserve is going to try and do, is maintain this low interest rate environment, but then regulate the hell out of the banking system so that only the most yep. qualified people can get the loan. And that's going to make it very difficult to try and, you know, weave that path. Here's the thing. If they do not maintain the mortgage markets, then the monetary policy becomes ineffective for, for the Federal Reserve. So it's yeah. absolutely mandatory for them to keep the housing market stable. They have to do it. If they don't, then they lose control. So, yeah, I see houses like probably staying elevated or, you know, the foreseeable future. I was going to say, the only thing I think that could throw a wrench in that is the amount of homes that are in forbearance right now. I don't know if you've been tracking that. You know, that's the only thing I think if they stop allowing forbearance, I think there's something like right around 3 million homeowners are in forbearance. And so I think you might see this really interesting, gosh, I can't, I don't, I, I have no idea what will happen if they, if they don't allow forbearance, but I, I almost think like you could see this very top end, bigger homes continue to surge, and then you might see this huge R and R market surge on top of it if forbearance is not allowed. You know, because you have these smaller entry level homes where there's incredible pent up demand because people can't afford a three hundred or four hundred thousand dollar house to get into a home. That if that starts to open up because forbearance and you see foreclosures happen, it could be a really wild, you know, new construction and renovation market. Yeah. It really could. And, you know, it's that forbearance thing is really kind of tricky because that is, I was reading, uh, what was it? The, uh, I can't remember her name. I believe she was from the World Bank. But anyway, she was talking about how the moratoria throughout the entire globe 
is an issue right now. And I think about that because that forbearance issue, what it has done is it's taken away the foreclosures that should exist. Okay. I mean, regardless of like the whole recession and COVID and everything else, there is just the natural occurrence of foreclosures that wouldn't take place inside of the mortgage market. You know, people lose their jobs, family issues, whatever. I mean, something happens to the point that, you know, a foreclosure should take place. But now you have this forbearance going on. So these foreclosures that should naturally be in the system have moved into forbearance and they're not being foreclosed on. So there's like a backlog of foreclosures that should be in the system right now that really aren't because of the forbearance. Mm. And I would assume that once the, the forbearance has ended, there's going to be a wave of foreclosures coming in that have been held back because of that, you know, forbearance issues, the moratoria that they talk about. Yep. You know, that is probably where, like, and I don't get into a whole lot of politics. You know, I try not to, like, even listen to, you know, anything that's going on as far as what the possibilities of the future are going to come from different administrations. I don't, I, I just listen to the Fed and read money, money market stuff. Biden administration is talking about putting out a $2 trillion stimulus. And that, I'd assume, was probably going to have a lot more moratorium stuff in it, right? And I'm only assuming that the administration is probably going, and this is a completed assumption. I'm not trying to pick on anybody or anything like that. I'm just kind of going off of what I see as far as the momentum of things. And it looks to me like they are going to be continuing stimulus packages probably from now on. And there's going to be an issue like they cannot turn off the forbearance or stuff. I mean, if they don't, if they just had ended it, like, okay, Hey, expiration dates come everybody who was in the situation, you're going to have hell to pay. I mean, this is going to be a flood of people and all kinds of damage from it. There's no way that they're going to do it like that. They're going to either attempt to ease out of it, or it's going to be a new normal of continuous. Hmm. And that's what I'm kind of seeing is going to be the new normal of continuous stimulus packages and, some kind of like, you know, maybe rent subsidies or something coming that will never allow that housing market to diminish. And that's kind of what I see their attempt at. Now, whether that happens or not, that's a whole other story. But that's kind of what I see is like the overall attempt. So let's just speculate for a minute. Let's say you're right about that. And, Mm -hmm. you know, let's say whatever administrations are to continue to come, they maintain some level of stimulus or forbearance or, you know, rent relief, mortgage relief, something like that. What would you say that would mean for the building materials industry? Well, I would only assume that it's probably going to be very well for it. I mean, if you can keep house prices elevated and the replacement cost of a house is, you know, a profitable business, then, you know, I would only assume that everything would stay elevated, all the lumber prices the only time that I ever see that there would be a shift of, like, say, into the danger area is if interest rates rise. Mm. That's really the only, the only thing that's going to be holding it back. I mean, we're at a top, so maintaining a top is going to be very difficult. Right. The only way to do it is to keep the interest rates low, and that's, that's basically where they're at. Fascinating. Simon, man, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been awesome. If someone wants to connect with you, what's the best way for them to reach out? Honestly, I'm at YouTube. I have some other social media sites like Twitter and Facebook and stuff like that, but I am pretty much active on YouTube, you know, exclusively. If you want to send me an email, uneducatedeconomist at gmail.com, you know, I can, you know, can certainly 
connect with me there. But yeah. That's great. Yeah, you have a lot of great content. And again, for our listeners, if you enjoyed this content, make sure you go to venvio.com slash podcast to subscribe. Until next time, I'm Zach Williams alongside Beth Popnikolov. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.